Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on the first Monday of November. It is election week, and if you're into that sort of thing, well, good luck and uh, hope you're guy wins or whatever i'll probably be playing call of duty that night anyway welcome in to the monday edition of the rubber report i'm michael borky thank you for making the podcast a part of your day brought to you by lb's just across from kroger on university avenue right there in oxford it's the best place in mississippi to get your meat it is monday so you've got all week long to get one of their daily lunch specials go by and see greg and tell him we here at super talk the rubber report michael borky sent you to lb's uh, they are open seven days a week, but the lunch specials are Monday through Friday. A beautiful week. A little chilly, but a beautiful week and a great weekend for your bye weekend coming up uh, to enjoy uh, your day behind the grill. So go by and see Greg and tell him we sent you. Again, welcome into the Rebel Report. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. And today, um, a recap of sorts. Six takes from the Old Miss Vanderbilt game this weekend. You guys saw it already. You probably saw my recap videos or recap video on uh, the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter, and it was a very short one because, I mean, you guys all saw it. Um, Ole Miss was significantly better than Vanderbilt, and they took care of business. There wasn't a whole lot that that you could really take away from that game because Ole Miss was just a whole lot better. But I've got six things I wrote down here uh, that I took away. Big keys from this game, things that you can take with you into the bye week. Uh, after Ole Miss gets the win, 54-21, to the final in Nashville over Vanderbilt. And this isn't one of the keys, but just a thought that I had. I, I'm not going to go all uh, like coronavirus truther on you, but the, the story of Ken Seals, Vanderbilt's quarterback's parents, I don't know if you guys saw that during the game. It was later on in the game. Ole Miss was kind of winning pretty heavily at that point, so maybe you kind of tuned it out. Um Ken Seals' parents got a room at the hotel across the street from the stadium, and that window, the window of their room kind of looks into the stadium. And my wife and I have actually stayed in that hotel before a few years ago when we went to a uh, Gold Cup USA soccer game that that was played, uh, not at Vanderbilt, but we stayed at the hotel across the street from Vanderbilt. And you can't really see the field. I mean, you really can't. Uh, But... Ken Seals' parents, the only way they could be there to watch their son play was through the window of a hotel room. And they put lights around the window and turned those on so he could see them. That's pretty cool. But um, Vanderbilt let 800 or so students in the game, and that's it. I, I understand you want to be safe with COVID and stuff like that, but how impossibly stupid is it? that they couldn't figure out a situation where at least the families of the players could go watch them play. Where instead their quarterback has, his parents have to get a hotel room across the street to barely see what's going on out a window and string lights around the window and turn them on so uh, their kid knows that, hey, my parents are here, they're just way the hell over there across the street. It's just so stupid and... Uh, it's a cool story because the parents' commitment to their kid is always really is really nice to see stories like that. Um, Vanderbilt should be embarrassed by that, though. That's embarrassing. 
Um, there's a lot of embarrassing things that happened at that game uh, besides their play on the field, which I, I cannot believe that the school was just so willing to accept these kind of results and not invest in football whatsoever. I, it's a shame. But anyway, all right. Six takeaways from the game, one of which is not actually involved with the game itself, but it's something that everybody noticed. I noticed it right away, and all of you did as well, if my Twitter is any indication. The broadcast quality. Now, the, the camera angle was bad enough. I mean, it felt like they had that camera like placed on top of Toby Keith's bar off of Broadway or something. I mean, that was like the, hey, you want to see what it's like from the Goodyear blimp camera angle. I mean, I, the stadium's not very big. I don't know how they found a place at that stadium that was that far away from the field. And especially when you have an empty stadium, couldn't you just put the camera wherever the hell you wanted to? I, that that was awful. I mean, it looked like you were watching the All-22 camera, the Sky camera or something. That was awful. And then they didn't have like HD cameras with them. It felt like we were watching a game in like the BCS era, like circa 2005 when Larry Coker was the coach at Miami. I mean, that that's how long ago watching that game felt. I know Ole Miss and Vanderbilt is not exactly like your marquee game of the weekend and you don't you know, put all of your time and effort and resources uh, into broadcasting Ole Miss and Vanderbilt on the SEC network. But how much money that league has, and I mean, like I said with the officiating, same thing applies. They distribute $50 million to each member institution and then keep $50 million for themselves. It's divided 15 ways. The fact that the SEC network put that quality of broadcast on, I think is embarrassing. It really is. Um, all the money they have. Uh, one of my coworkers, Stephen Gagliano, told me that he watched a, a high school game on Friday night that had a better broadcast quality than Ole Miss Vanderbilt on Saturday. And that's unacceptable. That is simply unacceptable. All of you noticed it. Ole Miss looked like they were glowing because they were wearing white uniforms and the quality of video was so bad that they were glowing and it was hard to read numbers. It, it, that's how bad it was. And, and that's just unacceptable and embarrassing. And then you can tell... When the announcers aren't on site. You can tell. Dave Neal and DJ Shockley weren't there. You, and, and you can tell that. There, there were a couple of plays. It, it was long runs and Dave Neal's making an exciting call. And there's a flag on the field. But he's not there to see it. Because he can only see the camera feed. Stuff like that. Uh, their calls were delayed. And a little bit slower and behind and stuff. And maybe I just noticed that. Because I'm technically in the field. Although I don't do TV games or anything like that. But... Um, a lot of you noticed it as well. You can tell they're not there. And maybe it's a COVID thing. You don't want your people traveling or whatever. But that, that's it, it was not a good broadcast that they put on at all. It, it was simply not a good broadcast. And that shouldn't be acceptable in 2020, considering the, the money and the technology that's available for people now. Uh, it needs to be better than that. And all of you, you noticed. Uh, number two, of course, is Matt Corral's big day. I mean, you all know it by now. He broke broke an Eli Manning record and tied an Eli Manning record, broke the consecutive completions, which was 18. He did 19 and tied the touchdown record for six touchdowns in a game. But Eli did that in the seven overtime game against Arkansas. So if you're talking about just in regulation, Matt Corral threw more touchdowns in a game than any Ole Miss quarterback ever. 
And uh, I need to preference every take from this game with Vanderbilt's very bad. They're very, very, very bad. On top of just lacking in talent compared to most everybody else in the SEC, they've dealt with COVID issues, and they've had a bunch of opt-outs. I feel bad for Derek Mason, honestly. I, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a, he's a really good guy. It's just not working out at one of the toughest jobs in the Power Five, anyway. Really tough job. He's just not really getting it done there. I feel bad for him. He's got an administration that doesn't invest in football whatsoever. He's got no advantages, no nothing. I think he's a good coach and a good dude, just not working out there. But um, everything I'm about to say needs to be prefaced with Vanderbilt being bad, potentially historically bad. But going 19 for 19 to start the game, that's tough to do. I think Lane Kiffin said it after the game. That's tough to do on air. That's tough to do with nobody guarding you at all, let alone a defense out there. Although it was Vanderbilt, there were still guys on the field, and going 19 for 19 and six touchdowns is really impressive. But um, it's not that he he broke Eli's record and, and threw 19 consecutive completions. It's more, I think the takeaway for you should be how he went about it. Because I keep saying, and it bears repeating, Vanderbilt is very, very bad. But it was the way Matt Corral conducted his business this game, which would be encouraging. I think after the Arkansas debacle, you saw some improvement against Auburn, and then you really saw it on Saturday against Vanderbilt, um, not forcing anything. He looked off a safety a couple of times. He was looking to to throw a deep bomb, and it just wasn't there, and instead of forcing it, he hit his check down. Those are the kind of things that, even though it's Vanderbilt and it's hard to take away uh, from a game against a team that is just so bad, those kind of things, I think, are really important for you to look at. It's not that he threw for a bunch of yards against a bad team. It's how he threw for a bunch of yards against a bad team. He didn't force anything. The deep ball was very, I mean, it was nice. I mean, a couple of throws he had to Elijah Moore down the field were just really, really impressive. But he didn't force anything. Hit his check down when he needed to. He looked off defenders at times. He went through his progressions. It was much different than what you saw in Fayetteville. And that's a, that's a big deal. That means a young quarterback is learning and progressing. And I'm not saying that he's not going to have a bad game again, because I think he will. He's still a young-ish quarterback. I think that was his 10th career start. On Saturday, I think. His 10th career start, he's still learning and growing, and he'll have a bad game again, but the fact that you did see marked improvement, learning and growing from Arkansas to Vanderbilt. I know Vanderbilt's worse than Arkansas, but you get my point. The way he went about it was really encouraging for you and for that football team moving forward. Not that he threw for 412 on 31 of 34 and six touchdowns. It's the how. And I think that's really important. So Matt Corral's big day, obviously, uh, the the number one thing that you take away from this game. He's going to win a bunch of, he's going to win a bunch of awards this week. I haven't seen any come out yet, but he'll probably get like SEC Offensive Player of the Week and stuff like that. Um, that will happen. I think Pro Football Focus uh, called him their Offensive Player of the Week. So there's... Um, there's some accolades coming his way, uh, for sure. Number three, some more stating the obvious here, Elijah Moore. 
Uh, he had a huge day. Uh, broke A.J. Brown's record. He had 14 catches for 238 and three touchdowns. I had somebody text me during the game and said, is Vanderbilt not trying to cover Elijah Moore? <laughs> Um, and they didn't do, Lane Kiffin said after the game, they didn't do much of the uh, of the drop eight that you saw from uh, the Auburn that they ran Auburn out of uh, for the most part. And uh, Arkansas, they didn't do as much of that. But they did try to cover Elijah Moore. Uh, they tried. They just, I mean, at times they bracketed him. And they gave him different looks. And it's just they didn't have anybody that could cover him. He's second right now. In college football in yards, he's a decent game for him away from being a 1,000-yard receiver already with four games to go in a 10-game season. Um, he's just been incredible. And the thing about Elijah Moore is I think he's playing his way into an early-round draft pick. Unfortunately for him, there's something that he will never be able to overcome, and that's his size. But I think what you're seeing with him is elite level. Not good, not great elite level route running and then he catches the football but just his quickness and ability to just make people look so silly with quick and precise cuts on his routes that's what separates him even at his size from a lot of receivers in college football he's an elite level route runner and even with his size I think he's playing his way into an early round pick. Not a first rounder. I think the measurables are going to keep him down. But that kid is playing his way into an early round draft pick. Because if you can run precise elite level routes like that and catch the football and you're that good in space, it doesn't matter how big you are. And he's proving that every single week just how elite his skills are. A little undersized, but that's okay. And he's a different receiver than DK Metcalf. I know everybody likes to make the joke about DK and his three-cone drill. Well, Elijah Moore's three-cone drill is going to be incredible because he's a different kind of receiver. And, you know, if Seattle wants to get somebody else, I think he'd be a great compliment for DK. I mean, you've got your big uh, vertical threat in DK, and then you've got your shifty little slot guy. I'm just throwing ideas out there. But Elijah Moore's going to test really well at the Combine with these... Uh, with the uh, the route trees and stuff that they do, but also like the three-cone drills and agility stuff. I mean, he will shine at that because that's what separates him. And he's playing his way into an early first round, or early round pick. Not a first round pick, but an early round pick. Um, I don't care how big he is. When you run routes like that and you catch the ball the way he does and when you're that good in space, somebody will make really, really good use of you at the next level, and he's playing like it right now. All right, take number four is uh, it's hard to tell uh, about the defense. I know a lot of people and the text line on uh, my Sunday show yesterday told uh, me that people think that the defense played much better, and they looked really good. And, you know, they did do some nice things. And A.J. Finley, he played two really nice games in a row now for Ole Miss. He led the team in tackles, but um, also had an interception, right? Um, don't have the box score right in front of my face, although I probably should. Um, A.J. Finley has had two nice games in a row, and that's really encouraging uh, for the young uh, for the young player in the secondary, and Ole Miss has needed that. But it's hard for me to take away a lot from the defense because, like I keep telling you guys, Vanderbilt's very bad, and Ken Seals had a good day. I mean, it was his best game of the year so far in his career. He's only a freshman. And Vanderbilt did surpass their season high 
in points. Now it was 12 going into this one. But there are some things, at least for a a confidence, or from a confidence perspective, they probably feel good after this one. It's just hard to tell if they really took a step forward this week or not. I know people don't like hearing that because, you know, you won a game and they got a bunch of stops and they turned Ken Seals over, but he still threw for 320. Here's the box now, 31 of 40 and 319 yards and a couple of touchdowns. You know, that's concerning because while I think Ken Seals is a pretty good player, I think he's, he's he will be, he'll end up being uh, a really good quarterback. I keep telling you guys this because I, I truly do believe it. I think if he's given any kind of supporting cast, he'll end up being a pretty good quarterback. But you're going to see much better. Uh, you'll see better with Kellen Mond. You'll see better even with Miles Brennan, I think, with LSU. God knows what's going on with Mississippi State. And South Carolina runs the most boring, unimaginative offense I've ever seen. So um, they will see better. With four games left, you'll see two better quarterbacks than what you saw Saturday, and you still gave up 320 through the air. So it's hard for me to, you know, just tell you guys how great the defense looked and they're improved because Vanderbilt's bad. Their leading rusher didn't play, and Ken Seals threw for 320 and a couple touchdowns. Like I said, I did like what I saw from A.J. Finley. I think. If if Ole Miss wants to do it, if Miles Battle will accept it, I think in a couple of years you could have a really nice player in the secondary with Miles Battle. He's not cracking the rotation at wide receiver. Um, give him some time and, and some, especially if you can have a normal offseason, a real spring and a real summer, you might have something there in the defensive secondary with your former wide receiver. He's a big-bodied guy. Had a couple of pass breakups, uh, Yes, or Saturday, and then he had some against Auburn as well. I mean, that might be like Derek Jones. He might be. I think what you've got potentially in Miles Battle is something pretty impressive. That's something that I saw that I noticed that I keep thinking, you know, if he works at this, there might be a future there at defensive back. I mean, Lakia Henry had a couple of tackles for loss. That was good, but... By and large, I think South Carolina is more of a litmus test of if the defense really is improving. I think they are. I would like to tell you they are. Vanderbilt's just so bad, it's really hard to give you that kind of opinion. They've got two weeks now to prepare for South Carolina, who runs a really slow offense. And Colin Hill at times flashes, but um, I don't know if he's any more talented than Ken Seals. I'm sure some people would disagree with me. I think South Carolina is more of a gauge on if they're continuing to improve. Because the defense did some nice things against Arkansas, and they played well enough for them to win the game. They did some nice things against Auburn, and for the most part, played well enough for them to win the game, and they just couldn't do it. I'll wait to see them play South Carolina before I make any kind of a uh, a real judgment on how much better they're getting defensively. I think they are. It's just using Vanderbilt as that gauge is... Um, to me, just not, I can't do it. I can't do it. But I did like what I saw in Miles' battle. I think A.J. Finley is getting better. We've told you um, on all of our platforms for a while that Ole Miss's problems defensively are Jimmy's and Joe's and not X's and O's. It's not scheme at all. Uh, if you look at I had somebody, and we talked about this on this podcast a few weeks ago, I had somebody tell me that Mike McIntyre would be doing a better job with this defense. And uh, 
Um, if you still think that, I would encourage you to go look at uh, Memphis's defensive rankings right now, where he currently is. I'd encourage you to go look at that. Um, they're doing the best they can. They have a serious talent deficiency on that side of the ball. Um, it's just, it is what it is, and it's going to take a couple of years for them to really get out of it and get truly competitive on that side of the ball. Uh, I, I hate the phrase, but I say it too much. It is what it is, and there's nothing really anybody can do about it right now uh, at all. Take number five. The obsession with John Rice Plumley rears its head again uh, from the announcers. I mean, this is a weekly thing. Every single week, Ole Miss has played six games. And in all six games, the announcer crew obsessed over Matt Corral's backup. But this week, I think, was especially egregious. We talked about it after the Arkansas game. Like, I, I hear that when Matt Corral's throwing six interceptions against Arkansas. Like, the announcers and the, the broadcast focusing on the backup makes sense in that moment. But Dave Neal... While Matt Corral is absolutely cooking, while he's cooking on the field for over 400 yards, six touchdowns on three incompletions, Dave Neal calls his backup the most underused player in college football. The most underused player in college football. As Matt Corral is cooking on the field, lighting Vanderbilt up, playing an almost perfect game. Seriously, like from QBR and all that stuff, almost a perfect game. And Dave Neal is talking about how the backup needs to play more. And he's not talking about in the slot or at defensive back. No, he's talking about he needs to play more quarterback. That, I don't, I think that's bad form, honestly. Um, and it's not really fair to Matt Corral. I mean, my goodness, what else does he have to do to get you to shut up about his backup? I think if you were talking about using Plumley, you know, lining him up in the slot some, or getting him touches at running back or whatever, Okay, like I hear you. If you want to call for that, that's fine. I think even that's wrong, but if you want to do that, I hear you because he's a good athlete and that's fine. But as Corral's throwing for 400 freaking yards on three incompletions, you say that his backup is the most underused player in college football and that he should be taking more snaps at quarterback? I think that's bad form. I think, I think that's bad form from an announcer crew. And they're still hung up on the LSU game last year, I guess, because that's the only reason that you could be calling for the backup to play quarterback while watching what you watched right in front of your digital screened face because you're not actually on the field. But it's happening right in front of you, and you still call for that. I think it's bad form. Ole Miss made the right call, by the way, playing John Rice Plumlee. He needed to get some run. He deserves the reps. He's a good kid. He's a good athlete. Lane Kiffin clearly very, very much likes him. He, at least it seems that way. I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. But I think Kiffin really likes his two quarterbacks. I think he does. But that doesn't mean you should sit up there on that broadcast and call for his backup when Corral's cooking for 400 yards. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand where that comes from, where that desire comes from, why these people constantly want him to play when he has, when it's clearly been established that one is better at, the, at that position than the other. I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I don't know really what you do with him if, if you're Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy because people all the time say, well, why don't you line him up in the slot? Well, 
that's where Elijah Moore is. Are you going to take touches away from Elijah Moore? Are you going to throw the football to not him and to a guy that isn't a wide receiver? Maybe doesn't have the hands that Moore does. Okay, well then line him up at running back. Okay. Well, if you give him a carry, that means Jerry and Ely doesn't get one. That means Snoop Connor doesn't get one. And who would you rather be taking handoffs? And I think that's an easy answer. So they're in a bit of a dilemma on how to use this kid. I think um, they're trying to figure out ways to implement him in the offense. But I think that's something that they have to consider is, why would we hand the football off to him when we've got Jerry and Ely? That doesn't make sense. So I think they're kind of in a conundrum. I had a a bunch of people um, texting into my show and um, say on Twitter that, well, they should just move him to a different position. And I don't think it's that simple either. And if Matt Corral does get hurt, I think he's the guy that plays. But either way, I think these guys are starting to sound stupid. Hearing them say that on Saturday, I thought was really, really stupid. And... I don't know what else Matt Corral has to do. Uh, They just need to stop, honestly. Just stop. But anyway. All right, last thing, kicking game. Oh, boy. The the kicking game is um, just just not good. Um, And people wonder why Lane Kiffin chooses to go for it on fourth down so much. I think it's because he knows what he has at kicker. Uh, one missed field goal, two missed extra points. Um, it's got to be in his head at this point. I honestly, I feel bad for the kid. I say this every week at this point, but it's got to be in his head because you know that he could go out there and make 50 extra points in a row. But there's something about the game that I guess it just, it's a mental block at this point. But people are wondering especially after the Arkansas game, why Lane Kiffin doesn't kick field goals more because three points is better than no points or whatever. Well, the three points um, he knows is clearly not guaranteed. So it makes that decision to go for it a little bit easier um, if you're Kiffin because you don't have a guaranteed field goal at any point on the field. You don't even have a guaranteed extra point. Lane Kiffin said uh, if they would have scored... At the end of the Auburn game, they would have gone for two. Because, one, you play to win the game, but also I think he knows that it's just that one point's not guaranteed. And um, they have uh, apparently an elite-level kicker committed in this class, and uh, they need him to get on campus as soon as possible. Because, I mean, leaving five points on the field could be the difference in a win and a loss in two weeks or against Texas A&M or LSU or Mississippi State. I mean, that could be the difference. And um, you just you can't be that unreliable in, in the kicking game. It's, um, it's unfortunate, but that's um, the situation that they're currently in. So just to recap, uh, number one, the broadcast quality, uh, take number one, it's just awful. Um, I, it's unacceptable for the SEC network to be airing a game like that. Number two, Matt Corral's record-breaking big day, but... It's not about the numbers. It's about how he got the numbers, which is important. Number three, Elijah Moore playing his way into an early-round draft pick, I think. Just special season. Elite-level route runner, number four. It's hard to take away a lot from the defense because they did give up some yards, and they did give up more points than anybody else has against that uh, offense. I think South Carolina is the bigger test 
for Ole Miss here in a couple of weeks. Number five, the obsession with Matt Corral's backup while he's cooking just doesn't make any sense to me. And number six, the kicking game um, is something that they're trying to work around, and that's why they go for two uh, and go for it on fourth down uh, as much as they do. But either way, Ole Miss gets a big win, at least the the score anyway, and that had to have felt good. I was talking to a couple of uh, Ole Miss fans uh, over the weekend, and I mean they they said the same thing. Like it was nice to just have a game where the fourth quarter didn't really matter. <laughs> I mean it just didn't matter. Uh, a comfortable win. I think the team needed it after uh, unfortunate ways to lose last couple of weeks. Uh, they played kind of pissed off. At least it looked like to me on Saturday. Uh, they they got some frustrations out on Vanderbilt. And for fans, I imagine that just felt really, really good to just get that off your chest. You just, uh, you know. Um, so a really important win for Ole Miss. Right in front of the bye week, and you get South Carolina now. South Carolina this week is hosting Texas A&M. So Ole Miss gets a week off. South Carolina is hosting the Aggies. Um, It's a very interesting game because South Carolina, I think, will run the football pretty well. But they run a really just slow, and you can call it methodical, but I think it's just miserable and slow offense. I think Colin Hill's okay at times, but um, they're not great at wide receiver. Um, Running back's okay. I've talked about him a couple of times on this podcast. I think he'll probably have success against Ole Miss, but very different offensive style than the one you watch every Saturday. They're very slow. It's, you know, they huddle and they break the huddle and they jog to the line and they run a couple motions and then snap the ball with five seconds left and then it goes for three yards and then they huddle again. It's a very, just very slow, very slow offense, a very different style uh, what you're going to see in a couple of weeks. But uh, important right now, Ole Miss get a little bit of rest. Lane Kiffin said they've just been banged up. Uh, and then they also dealt with a very small amount of COVID um, well, on on their side anyway. And so they'll have a couple of weeks to get right with health and with uh, getting out of quarantine. Of course, an extra week to prepare. And then South Carolina's got to play a pretty important physical game for them while Ole Miss gets to sit at home on their recliners and watch that happen. So bye week came at a perfect time, a very winnable game for Ole Miss here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I will watch South Carolina with intent this weekend, and uh, I think Monday's podcast of next week will be dedicated to what you're going to see from South Carolina and what I've seen after watching them closely, especially this game against Texas A&M. Um, big important game for Ole Miss uh, coming up in two weeks, but for now uh, they get to feel good going into the bye we might talk a little basketball this week. Uh, the season's coming up pretty quickly. Kermit Davis seems to be very high on his team. It's probably the deepest team that he's maybe ever coached because Middle Tennessee just he couldn't bring in the athletes like he's got right now. So we may talk basketball this week. We'll definitely do some uh, SEC stuff. I know that a lot of you, I'm sure, because I know I did, got a kick out of the fact that irony is just an incredible thing. Where the same week... The same week that Flip the Script comes out, a book about Ed Orgeron where he lies about being excited about getting fired from Ole Miss, they go to Auburn and get beat by what felt like 100 points. Irony is just amazing. So we'll talk about that later on in the week as well. Uh, But for now, I'm going to let you go. So don't forget to follow me on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. 
But don't forget to do that. Those are always appreciated. We're up to five star now, which is pretty cool. Uh, when I took over, it was four and a half or four point two five or something. So thanks to you guys, we're up to a five star rating. That's pretty cool. That helps me a ton. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Have a great week. Don't forget to go by LBs and see Greg, and I will talk to you again on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.